the Recovery Revolution will be podcast on the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Network. This is the Unruffle Podcast, Episode 46. This is a podcast about recovery through creativity. We live an intentional life. We thrive. I am Sandra Primo. And I'm Tammy Salas. And we are The Unruffled. Hello there. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I uh, woke up on the right side of the bed and... The day I was like set it all with intention to have this really awesome morning. And my son kind of threw a little wrench in that with his attitude. And I just told my husband, I have to walk away and I'm going to reset my attitude again and make my cup of tea. (laughs) And I'm going to reset it again. So it got reset within minutes of me waking and I'm still trying to ride that wave. Oh, good. Well, talking with you always helps. Well, okay, good. What about you? <laughs> I'm good. My, uh, yeah. I mean, whenever we record podcasts in the morning, I have just dropped my son off from school. So he's like the last person here. Um, he's the last one to leave the house. Uh, and so, um, But our exchange this morning was pretty good, although we had to talk about his grades a little bit. But um, besides that, we don't have a ton of contention. I I um, I have more with my daughter, actually, (laughs) with my nine year old daughter. Yeah. than I do with my son. Um, Oh, good. I'm glad. I mean, not glad about Chloe, but I'm glad. I'm glad for that. You know, it yeah, just, and it's all waves. It's not like it's. I, I probably on here sound like I'm complaining all the time. It's just so hard, Sandra. Yeah, really I don't. Hard. It's not hard for me. I don't know. I, it's not. I sometimes I think um, I could make it harder if I wanted to, but I don't. I don't. I just don't feel the need to make it harder. In other words. Um, you know, there were probably some things I could ride him a little more about, and um, I just don't. I kind of let him – I'm just sort of letting him blossom a little bit. Well, my husband has been uh, – he's the one he's connecting with, which is good. Um, but all I said was good morning this morning, <laughs> and his kind of venomous tone to me just sets me off. Yeah, I like, get that. I'm like, you little brat, you know, here I am up early, going to make you breakfast. And I just have to go, I really do have to go talk to myself and do like the serenity prayer and mm-hmm. kind of talk to my husband. I'm like, okay, you're on because we're not connecting. And luckily, my husband has really been so helpful with this whole phase right now. But tonight, mm-hmm. we're going to a parenting class at my son's school. Oh, yeah. And it's on um, the focus is going to be on teens and substance abuse. Mm. Uh, I'm not saying my son is on a substance, but I'm just saying like, just we're going to all of these parenting classes that they're offering. Last Friday, I was gone. My husband went to one about pride and the teenager. 
Mm-hmm. And I read that worksheet last night. And that's why this morning I reset and decided to disengage because I read what they sent home. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I'm adding fuel when I'm reacting. It's true, right? So I, maybe that's what I I was kind of getting at too when I say I try I just I don't make it I try not to make it hard because yeah the minute you start pushing back and engaging it just it just fans the fire. <laughs> I, I was asking my husband about my son. He didn't do that. I always have him do his own. Okay, now he does his own laundry. That was part of the thing that he does his own. And then he has to do it before he goes out to do anything else on the weekends. Like one chore he has. That's it. Like mm-hmm. one, one thing that he, well, he takes the trash out. So two things. <laughs> but I told my husband, I said, did you let him go to town before he'd done his laundry this weekend? And my husband said, what is the consequence if he doesn't do it, Tammy? And I said, well, he has just one thing to do. Why can't you have him do his one chore before he, in my eyes, I'm thinking that it's one. And he says, how does it affect you if he doesn't do his laundry? And I had to stop and think about it, Sandra. And I was like, he goes, the consequence is he doesn't have the clothes that he wants. Right. So he just doesn't want to have anything to wear. (laughs) Why aren't you letting him have that consequence? And I'm like, yeah. Oh, Make the I choice. hate it when you're right. Make the choice. Yeah, and yeah. Talking, and I was talking to the therapist at a school last week about some other things. And she said to me, she said, Tammy, I encourage all parents to parent to the consequence. And so I wrote that down. Didn't fully know how I was going to look at that or think about it. But because I am, I have to say, because I am sober and I analyze some things now in a different way than I used to. And that I can kind of take some advice and simmer with it. I was like, parent to the consequence. She's like, yeah. So when he doesn't want to wear a jacket because it's, you tell him to in the morning because it's raining, just don't say anything. He doesn't Mm-mm. have a jacket. And then when he pick him up from school, Gets wet. She, she said, you just say, hey, how was that today? It was super rainy. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, that's really hard, lady. And she says, I know. But if you parent to the consequence and just try to have a dialogue, you're not telling him what to do. Because if you tell him what to do, it's, it's all going to do it. So that's what's going on, Sandra. <laughs> but I have to say this learning is like, it's like learning all over again for me. Right? Yeah. Because I just uh-huh. did everything for so long. But um, so that's that. But yeah, I'm glad that you have some of that figured out because that, that's definitely a hard, a hard thing to learn right now. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. Well, right, because when they're little, you, um, yeah, you you can mold their little experiences, but mm-hmm. not when, nope. not anymore. No, no, not anymore. And I don't want that, really. Like I know, it's right? Right. You don't want that. But it is really hard to take a look that I am part of the problem. Mm-hmm. That's hard. Mm-hmm not so hard that I'm not going to do it. It's just an awakening of a different sort that I'm having right now. And that's yeah. all right. It's just a different, it's a, I'm, I'm, I'm present for it. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. I get it. Um, so tell me something fun. What have you been doing? What's going on? What is fun? Uh, yesterday I hung out with my friend, my Austin friend, Jen, and we took some pictures of her art because she's going to make a nice little art and commerce website. So that was fun. That's oh, probably the cool. funnest, funnest thing I've done the last <laughs> days. The funnest. Um, she is so awesome. Yeah, I can't I wait to see what she does. I know. I know. I know. It's very exciting. 
Um, what about your book? I know by the time this airs, it'll be over, but you, you're promoting your oh, book this week. Oh, yeah, yeah. So today, the, the day that we're recording this is Galentine's Day, which, you know, <laughs> old drinking me would have totally rolled her eyes at anyone <laughs> mentioning Galentine's Day <laughs> because I was just such a cynical bitch. But I love <laughs> Galentine's Day today. And... um. So anyway, yeah, I just put my book on sale for, for the day. It's $1.99. But yeah, by the time this airs, it'll be over. I'll probably bring it back to 12 But I am working on some kind of way to um, make a lower price point for uh, recovery coaches um, to buy for their clients. And so I'm trying to I, Jen actually suggested that yesterday. And so I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to do that. So, um, anyway, that is, uh, something that I might work on. Very cool. Does it feel, do you still feel post kind of like you got that out into the world? Do you feel like a big sigh of relief still? Like, are you simmering? Oh, for sure. Still. Yeah. But you know, I'm definitely working on the next thing. So, um, course you are <laughs> well, only February <laughs> that's right, that's right. Uh, well, what about uh, you you were thrown back into real life after being gone for the weekend yeah yeah I went to Arizona for four days and to see my mom and that was really lovely and I have to say it's interesting it's always interesting to go back home right I mean there's lots of triggers and things and um but I went with a different attitude and more of a I want to be of service to my mother and help her with a couple of things that she needed help with that Mm -hmm. totally helped everything it was yeah really, really great and um we I went to go find an AA meeting and it just so happened it was an Al Anon meeting not an AA meeting the internet was wrong and so I was like do you want to just stay mom because she's been interested in going but a little nervous to go by herself I go I'll sit next to you and we'll just go and see what it's all about we don't have to say anything and so that's what we did and she loved it and it was awesome and it was really uh, a nice to to be able to sit there with her and then when we left she said that she really enjoyed it and and was gonna go again so um it was interesting to chat with her about about um my own drinking, because as much as I write and talk about it and on this podcast, my mom doesn't listen to podcasts. My mom barely knows how to get on the internet. Her husband has to help her do that. She has a, a, a flip phone. So mm-hmm. she doesn't have ways to kind of read or hear my work. Um, and I don't talk about it so much with her. So to be able to like talk about it and, and share some things with her, um, was great. And, um, and so she went to an AA meeting with me the next night. And when I walked in, they give out chips every night. Like they, every day is a chip day at this meeting, I guess. Mm-hmm. We have, yeah, I have my home groups like that. Oh, okay. I'd never been to a meeting like that. So mm-hmm. when I walked in, no, they said, does anybody have a birthday? And I said, because oh, mine was last week. And I go, uh, yeah, I have three years. So they're like, well, come get a chip. So I got to get a chip in front of my mom, which was really nice. cool. And then they called on me as the first person to share. And so I did a little share. And because I wasn't going to talk, I was just going to listen at this meeting. But you got called on because they do a whole number system, like where they hand out tickets. 
Oh, weird. I've never seen that. That's interesting. (laughs) It's like a raffle or something. (laughs) Wow. So they hand you a ticket when you walk in. Actually, I'm sorry. The first person that got called was my mother. And she just said pass. Because I told her, like, if you don't want to talk at any of these meetings, you can just say pass. So they called on her was her number, which was funny. And then the second number was me. (laughs) And I was like, this is interesting. But I know, I know better. The universe is just really funny. Um, So it was great. It was just great to chat with her and to kind of reveal myself a little bit more and to be seen and heard by her. Felt, um, felt very healing. Oh, good. So it was nice. Oh, good. Um... What do you what do you have going this week? Do you have big stuff going on? Or are you just chipping away at everything? I'm just I'm trying to launch my next thing actually. So I'm getting that put together and hopefully I hope to have it um up on my site uh by the time I release a newsletter. So really? anyway. Yeah, I think so. Sandra, yeah. you are like a machine. <laughs> So, oh my gosh, I am so impressed with you. Moving right along. Yeah, you know what? You're like, boom, let's do this thing. Okay. All right. Well, when you're ready to share all that, I can't wait to okay. hear. I can't wait to hear. Um, I think we should do an episode just talking about you. Oh, whatever. No, I'm serious. <laughs> I'm serious. We have this platform. Really? Let's do it. No, because your process and how you're doing these things is fascinating to me. And I'm your friend who talks to you a lot. And I don't even freaking know how you do all this. Uh, you know? Really? It'd be I, interesting. Okay. I would, I'd be, I, I'll, I'll, I'll jot down some questions in our little document. Okay. Maybe you'll take well, a look at Maybe we detail. just need a new check-in then because you have a lot of stuff going on too with your new school project. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Says the girl who doesn't want all the attention. Okay. <laughs> I'll play your game. <laughs> Um, well, let's chat about um, the awesome guest we have on today. Ah, so excited. Today um, on the podcast, we have Katie Bickle. And Katie's a writer and a mom, and she lives in Alberta, Canada with her husband of nine years. She has two little girls. Um, she's a literary writer. She has one book, which is a novel, and is um, seeking representation right now and is currently also working on a memoir about her first pregnancy, um, which will, you know, she's working on it now, but it's, it's shooting to explore social taboos around young pregnancy and society's lack of awareness regarding natal mental health. Yeah. And she is an award-winning writer. Like she is, um, she's received the 2017 um, Writers Guild of Alberta Emerging Writer Award, and back in 2015, she got the Howard O'Hagan Award for a short story, and in 2014, Alberta View's Fiction Prize, and in 2011, she received an award for Voices of Motherhood um, Nonfiction Prize. So we found Katie um, on the internet because she wrote a stunning essay entitled Moms Tell Me to Drink, and it went to viral. In fact, it's going viral right now yeah, right, right, <laughs> as, as we speak. We, as we talk, it's going viral <laughs> this morning. It, it, it circulated big time in the recovery, all the recovery groups. Um, lots of people in recovery circulated it. I think it circulated in mommy groups and I, I think today Scary Mommy was publishing um, the essay, but it's essentially about 
society's message to all moms that we just need a good stiff drink or five to get through parenting. And um, it's just a beautiful, beautiful, well-written essay about a, a particular experience that Katie had with her daughter. And um, we're just so happy that she wrote it and happy that we could find her. Yeah, she's so brave to come on. And I know all of this is kind of swirling around her right now. And that's got to feel pretty magical. And um, yeah, it just it was a really lovely conversation with her. I'm glad yeah. you, you forwarded me the essay. And I, I read it and it's like, yep, that's that needs to be chatted about. So, yeah, you can find her work <clears throat> at katiebickle.com, and that's K-A-T-I-E-B-I-C-K-E-L-L.com. And, um, or you can just Google her and moms tell me to drink her essay. I'm sure you're going to find it somewhere. It's going to pop up. Yeah. yeah. So we yeah. hope you enjoy it. Enjoy, Katie. Good morning, Katie. Good morning. Good morning, Katie. Hi. How, how is it up there in Canada? That's where you're at, right? Alberta? Yes. How is it this morning? It's beautiful. We It's been so cold here for so long, and today it hit zero. <laughs> oh, my God. Stop. beautiful, and I can't wait to get outside. I was actually outside this morning with my dogs, and I can't wait to go for a really long walk. Because wow. yesterday I, I took the dogs for a walk with my husband, and it was so cold, only my eyes could show, and the dogs were wearing their winter coats. <laughs> and wow. now it feels like spring. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Isn't it interesting how we get such a different, we have such a different threshold for temperatures depending on where where we've grown up and what we're accustomed to. I'm in Texas. Everyone, mostly everyone knows that. And it's been pretty cold here for Austin lately, like in the thirties and forties. And I am ridiculously cold. Like, like I, it's hard for me to go outside much. <laughs> we, get, we get such extreme temperatures here that I'll experience that in the summertime. Like it'll be, you know, plus 10 and I'm talking about degrees Celsius. Right. Um, but it'll be plus 10 and I'll be shivering in like a summer dress because that's cold for summertime. But if it was plus 10 right now, you know, I could be playing in the snow in a bikini. <laughs> <laughs> It's our minds, right? Your mindset yeah. too. You get used to it. I um, I went to Arizona this weekend and I packed a cashmere sweater like an idiot. I get off the plane and it's like 89 degrees. And I was like, oh, I don't know what I was thinking. Because sometimes the desert can be really cold in the wintertime. Um, or at night. It yeah. Can yeah. But and not get chilly at night. Yeah. Yeah. Not this trip. Nope. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No. Didn't need, didn't need half of what I packed, which I never do. But well, I'm glad you're with us, Katie. Super glad. I'm yeah. so to be here, and this is the first time I've ever um, been on a pon- podcast. Ooh. I, yeah. So, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm really excited to be here because I'm a podcast fanatic. I'm always. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, you don't sound nervous, so this is this this is going to be great. We promise we'll be very very gentle with you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> so do you want to start like what we normally do um, is we just start by, um, you know, you telling our listeners a little bit of about, you know, the decision or how you came to quit drinking. We just give like a little short version so they can kind of understand um, where you're coming from. And then we have so many other things we want to talk to you about. Sure. Um, gosh, this is difficult to, I'm sure all of your guests say this is difficult to describe your drinking because it's so often not linear. Right. Right. Um, for me, I don't, um, I don't relate to the term alcoholic because I guess I never had, well, I definitely didn't have any, um, physical dependencies. For me, it was more of an emotional thing. Um, I didn't struggle much when I was pregnant, for instance, although it felt lonely um, socially to not drink. And I could, I could usually go, I could, you know, go a week without drinking, although that didn't happen very regularly. The problem for me was that I never knew what was going to happen when I, after I had one drink. Mm-hmm. I could have one drink and then maybe I would just put the cork back in the bottle and, you know, just how the movies tell us normal people drink, right? Right. Um, And that would be it for the evening. But I could also end up drinking a whole bottle of wine and then, you know, dip into another bottle and maybe finish that with a beer. And before you know it, it's the next day and I have no idea what happened the night before. Um, For me, it took me a long time to admit that alcohol was a major problem in my life because my drinking looked so normal when I compared it with what our culture was telling me. And there were many times after bad nights that I would Google, like, how do you know you're an alcoholic? How do you know you have a drinking problem? And I would never meet enough boxes. I'd never be able to check enough boxes to say, okay, I've got to stop. Um, and so I think not being able to relate to the term alcoholic kept me drinking a lot longer than I, than I should have, because if Mm -hmm. I had just, um, if I had just wrapped my head around the fact that a problem is a problem is a problem, you know, if you drink and you're ruining every date night, if you drink and you lose motivation to tuck your kids into bed properly, you know, if you drink and you black out, if you drink and then you can't write or work again for days because you've lost all motivation, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when I did stop and I realized how difficult it was to stop from an emotional standpoint, I realized how big a problem it was that I was really using it as a crutch. Mm -hmm. And when was that? When was that, Katie? When did you stop? November 27, 2016. 16. Um, that was, I woke up from um, a night where I had just really went out of control. It was a Christmas party. Um, and my husband was really upset with me. And there were so many nights like that, but most of the time he just kind of immediately forgave me or I could like suck up to him and he'd be okay but this time he just walked away from me and he didn't want to talk to me and he was so disappointed and I was so disappointed because I'd been looking forward to the night for a long time um and it had just been wiped clean from my memory 
and that it happened so many times and actually leading up to that night that it happened every weekend for weeks and that's when I realized um, if I continued drinking the way I did it was certainly going to cost me my marriage I had also fallen into a pretty significant depression at that point and I do think that that depression was really just a manifestation of how much alcohol I was putting into my system. Mm-hmm. Um, I That morning was one of my lowest mornings ever in my whole life. And yeah, it was just every part of me knew that this could cost me my life and it was certainly going to cost me my marriage. Mm-hmm. You know what I think is so interesting is when we talk about consequences, and I think often we're talking about, uh, you know, obvious outside consequences. Well, you know, I didn't go to jail. I haven't been pulled over. I, you know, haven't had any, haven't lost a job. I haven't had any outside consequences. But I think what we often skip over are the other consequences. Like, um, I disappointed myself again. I disappointed my spouse again. Um, um, Those types of consequences, because those are real, right? And yeah, yeah, because I relate to so much of your story there. Um, I may have had a few more consequences than that, but but still, that was that was. that was when I experienced, you know, every day. And so I often think I actually did have consequences. I definitely had um, perhaps more dramatic consequences when I was younger and when I was not, I wasn't a mother, uh, you know, when you're on the, you're in the party scene. Right. Um, but for me, I guess I've always, like, I feel like I've always just been surrounded by these angels in my life. Um, I've been with my husband since I was 18 years old and wow. we went party together, but he never forgot me. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. I out and I could be the girl that passes out in a snowbank, uh, but he's the guy that carries me home. Right. So my consequences didn't hit as hard as they would have if I didn't have all of these people taking care of me all the time. Um, dear girlfriends and, and my husband. Um, and so when I see some of the consequences that other people suffer, there's no judgment there. Because right. Because me, if it wasn't, yeah, <laughs> it was a not yet exactly. situation. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I also relate to your experience of depression. Um, I, I experienced the same thing. I mean, alcohol is a depressant. And so I think, I think some of us lean towards anxiety and some of us more towards depression. And I think I definitely lean, you know, have depressive tendencies, but alcohol just exasperated it. Well, for me, it's um, very, it was a very cyclical process because I am a highly anxious person. Um, and I realize now that some of that anxiety is really beneficial. Uh, it makes me a perfectionist. It gives me a little bit of drive that maybe others um, have a harder time reaching, especially in my creative work. But it's hard to sit still with yourself when you have anxiety. And alcohol helps that. It helps mm you know, dumb down those feelings of always being on edge. But then it also makes you more anxious and it also makes you depressed. And it just ends up being this like whirlpool of doom. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. 
Um, but for me, um, like I'm not going to say there weren't any consequences after I became a mother. It's just my my drinking became much more private when I became a mother, as I think is true for many women. I was drinking a lot after I put the kids to bed, uh, a lot alone. Like my husband works nights, and yeah. uh, um, probably there were many consequences, but not very dramatic. But when I look back in retrospect now, the book that is currently seeking representation, um, it's a novel that took me about six years to write. But the the first five years were like a story here, a story there. And that was all I could manage. And then by some small miracle or some large miracle, um, last year, when I was a month sober, I was awarded $15,000 to finish the book by, um, the, uh, by a provincial um, granting body. And that book went from not even half done to completed and finished and beautiful in, mm. in less than a year. And it's one of those things where it was like, thank God I'm sober. <laughs> thank God no one gave me um, a grant money before I stopped drinking because I never could have done it if I was still drinking. Mm. But I was drinking, I would drink in the evening and then there was no way I could wake up and work. And as right. the mom and kids, I had to get up before they did or I just yeah. wouldn't. Yeah, because when are you going to carve out that time? Yeah, I mean that's definitely a question we were going to ask. How you, how you make that all work? Uh, I know there's some people they're very creative in the evening, but that's never been me. By the time like six o'clock hits, I am spent. I totally believe that you only have, um, you know, so many decisions you can make in a day before you're kind of. You, you're just kind of spent and so for me um, my best writing time even though I do have all day now this year my kids are both in full-time school but my best writing time remains between about 4 30 and 11 a.m mm -hmm. so if you have a hangover that's not gonna happen <laughs> right no that's not gonna happen at all <laughs> all the coffee in the world can't <laughs> not gonna can't help that undull that or you make it make your mind feel less dull and if you're filled with shame and regret that is such a block to creativity for me like when I'm writing I need to be able to get excited about something and I'm writing from places of love and compassion and if I can't find that in my own life to my own self then it just it doesn't happen mm. No, that's so true, because I was just going to say, when you're hungover, like, you're saying those are your most productive writing hours, but when we're drinking, those are the hours that we are beating ourselves up, right? The most, I felt like, was in the morning, as soon as I opened my eyes, no matter what time it was, um, two, four, six, didn't matter, whenever my eyelids went open, that's when, like, you start beating yourself up. And that was exhausting, and yeah, you don't have time to create when you're doing that. No, and you're already running behind, because you haven't... <laughs> able to wake up before the kid mm -hmm. like it would yeah. be at the bedside being like mom it's time to go to school and you're like oh shit <laughs> run yeah. everybody run and get ready and then by the time they're on the school bus you're just exhausted yeah and mm -hmm. where are you going to pull that creative energy from no you're right. going to go back and take a nap i used yeah. to call it the fake sober even though i know it was a hangover but i used to call it i'd do the fake sober in the morning 
where I'd pretend like I wasn't hungover. So I guess it was really the pretend not hangover, but that was too long. Um, but I would pretend like I didn't have too much to drink the night before um, as my husband was giving me the silent treatment. And as, um, you know, I'm just barking at my kid and not being nice. Um, but it just that feeling, that kind of doomsday like, we're at it again. This is the same I felt yesterday that I felt the day before and the day before. And it's just, it's not helpful. Not helpful to start the day. And there's no way to start, like, if you are writing or trying to glean something from your mind or put your thoughts together, that's too hard to do. Mm-hmm. And also you create all of these other problems, too. Like you say, you know, your husband's not talking to you because you can't remember what you said the night before. Like, for me, and, you know, I feel terrible that this, was me, but it, it is me. I'll just confess to this. Um, often, if he was upset at me, I'd have to like invent some reason to be upset back because that oh, was yeah. better than admitting that, you know, I can't remember why we fought. So it'd just yeah. be like, totally remember why you why we fought. I didn't drink too much and I stand by everything I said. Oh, yeah, to the death, right? Like you would stand by that to the death, even though you don't even remember. Yeah, so was, then your whole morning is full of, like, angry texts back and forth. Mm-hmm. That's the definition yeah. of insanity right there. Like, it's just insane. I was, right? yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah, I was going to mention that exact thing that you just mentioned, Katie, because I read one of your essays that you wrote on your one-year sobriety date that was called We Get to Dig for Diamonds. And that is exactly how I would treat my husband in the mornings. He would... I would wake up in my clothes or wake up in a strange place in the house where I had passed out and, you know, usually in a pool of my own sweat. And my husband would just give me the total silent treatment as well. And, you know, you could, I mean, I could only imagine that that was just disappointment mixed with disgust every time. And, you know, but I would quickly, just to get over the shame, I would quickly, just like you said, it was easier to be angry than sad. Um, I would do the same thing just to, just to uh, try to, it was like a defense mechanism, just to try to annihilate my shame. And um, I so relate to that as well. Ugh. And, you know, it's even worse for us creative types because we can come up with, like, the sharpest insults. So, you know, it's really really not, you know, it's just out of control. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, and it's just so that we won't look at our drinking. I mean, it's completely irrational. Um, You were, uh, in that essay, didn't you also talk about... um, how you how you could you could imagine somebody else coming in that was more worthy um, to raise your children than you? Yeah, that had been a fantasy that I had kind of kept with me for years and years, probably since my first pregnancy um, at twenty two. Uh, I always just felt like whatever I was doing, I wasn't doing it right, and I was given these beautiful people um, and so much responsibility that in I in no way deserved or lived up to, even though I 
like I'll admit, even when I was drinking, I was a pretty good mom um, to the point where uh, most people still find it. Uh, they kind of question it a little bit for me. Like, are you sure you had a problem? Mm. Uh, but there was a lot of internal shame and a lot of internal conflict. Um, and yeah, I, I had this idea in my head where it was like, I don't deserve these people. I brought all these people into the world and together, like I made this family unit, but it would almost be better if I just disappeared now and some like perfect chirpy, non-neurotic woman (laughs) and take over and you know everything that I struggle with about myself she'd have figured out you know like she wasn't a creative starving artist she's a dental hygienist (laughs) 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 she's not uh she's blonde where I have very dark hair (laughs) it's a lot of yogurt instead of like pepperoni sticks (laughs) 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 oh yeah it was um it was just this whole idea that was like, everyone deserves better than me. Mm-hmm. And that was such a painful thing to carry around. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't have that anymore, thankfully. Yeah. And yeah, I let go of that. That's gone. Well, yeah. I love that essay, too. That was really, you hit, the, you hit a lot of points there. Thank yeah. You. Definitely, definitely. It reminded me, I've told this story before, but it reminded me of this time at the end of my drinking where right outside of our neighborhood, there was some apart, there's these uh, apartments that were going up and they were under construction. And I would drive by those apartments and just fantasize about getting an apartment for myself, like down the street from my family. Mm. And um, it was really just so that I could, be alone and drink the way I wanted to and no one would be watching me or tell me you know no one would be telling me what to do and um but also that you know I felt like yeah that that I wasn't worthy of my family it's just insanity to think mm-hmm. back to that time mm-hmm. and how because I certainly don't feel that way anymore mm-hmm. yeah the um the the things that go on our mind like I read your essay um, that you wrote when you first got pregnant the joy of being kicked oh thank you and gosh because I was not super happy to be pregnant um, I almost fainted on the bathroom floor and my husband had to catch me and I just sobbed and he was so happy I felt like such an asshole And um, I sat on the couch just kind of stunned, and he was, like, really happy. And you said, you said, a line from it, you said, a fantastic liar. I feign joy to please those who demand it. My life is not mine anymore. I'm just an incubator. I loved it. I mean, you said a lot more than that, but it just, that's how I felt. Mm -hmm. And I think that's when it started for me when I knew, I mean, I didn't drink during my pregnancy, but it kicked in shortly thereafter for me to drink the way that I wanted to and to kind of drink at motherhood and to drink like I I want to be like um, since I didn't drink for my teenage years and I didn't didn't drink very much during my 20s I felt like I had to make up for all this lost time but a fantastic liar that just is exactly how I felt so thank you for writing that and sharing it because I know it was your older work and you were sharing it very vulnerably recently Um, it's yeah it's 
it's really difficult to, sh- to share your older work, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I think for me, um, being a fantastic liar during my pregnancy was just an extreme situation of what I had been doing most of my life. Mm. I'm the eldest of five kids in our family. Um, and so I always felt like I was very much in like a leadership role. And, you know, I was always like a nice girl, if not good. <laughs> like I did drink a lot in uh, my teenage years and my early 20s. Well, I was pregnant at 22. Um, so I wasn't drinking then, but before I certainly was. Um, but even though you know, I had some drinking stuff going on. I was still a really good girl. I was a preschool teacher. I was a Sunday school teacher at one point. Um, I was always faking something. I was always making everybody else comfortable. And it's actually been this last year that I've been more honest, well, much more honest about the things that I need and the things that I will and won't tolerate. So my pregnancy when I felt like I had to fake joy because that mothers are joyful that Mm -hmm. was just something that I'd been doing all my life and it just all of a sudden felt extreme because my entire body had been taken over not just my smile Mm. it's like it's like um when I was married before I was married before the husband I'm married to now and um, I read a book called marriage shock and it was towards the end of my marriage, so I was clearly looking for a way out. But I read this book, and it was really um, interesting. They talked about a woman who went to a Christmas party, and the year, you know, with her boyfriend at the time, she wore a leather skirt and high heels, and she knocked back a few drinks, and she was the life of the party. Then they got married, and then they went to that same Christmas party, and she's wearing a conservative sweater. Um, he has a little pocketbook and some pearls on, and she's pretending to be um, uh, bothered by these jokes that are being told around her, offended by these jokes that are being told when the year prior she had been the one telling them. And she was analyzing, looking at like this transformation that she made, and it, and it stuck with me because that was me trying to be this good Mormon girl and sewing quilts and doing things. But my husband never demanded that of me. It's like as a woman, we just start becoming this thing. And that it resonates with me when you're talking about motherhood. Like, it's almost like we think we have to be a certain way. Not that anybody has told us that, though. It's just, it's almost like osmosis from the culture and from the environment and mommy groups, I guess. I think when you're not grounded in your own identity, you just start pulling from the culture to say, you know, who am I supposed to be? Um, How's the best way to do this? I think that's so funny. Um, what you just said, because that was so me after my, after my uh, eldest daughter was born. So at this point, you know, I'm just about to turn 23. So I'm still young, like I'm mm-hmm. in the and yet I don't know who I am and I don't know what to do. Um, and I totally did that. I was like, okay, from now on. Oh, and I was really into Mad Men. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> now on, I'm going to dress like Betty Draper. And, <laughs> and I did. Like as close as I could, Betty. Oh, Draper. I love Betty. My okay. Husband, <laughs> yeah, my husband must have just thought, like, what the hell is going on with like my young wife? Um, and I, you know, we would have. I feel like we're gonna have cocktail hours from now on when you come home from work. Like, I will have a drink ready for you. Uh-huh. <laughs> we did wore the pearls and, um, and it was ridiculous. 
Well, it's like an air of sophistication. You think that that's how it how it is, right? You know how else to be, right? Yeah. I'm like, yeah. I just I want to be a classy mom. How can I be a classy mom that still drinks? Because the hippie moms aren't really into that, <laughs> right? <laughs> I, th- I think that show should actually air backwards in season so we can see what happens to everyone. <laughs> and then you go back to where it started, you know, um, because that show had a major influence on my drinking, too. Um, that's when I really started drinking um, Manhattans at home. Mm-hmm. I'd, yeah. put the, I'd put my daughter to bed and I'd stay up and I would like get loaded while I watched that show. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that had a that had a big uh, influence on me as well. And then, yeah, you start to see how it all falls apart. I've, uh, I, I'm going to watch it again um, with a different eye, but I'm not ready to do that just yet. Um, but yeah, that show has a lot to say about a lot of things and, um, and about really? women and about women and feminism. But I needed some sobriety under my belt before I went back and watched that. Cause I mean, the drinking is just so much, mm-hmm. so much yeah. in that show. Yeah. yeah. And, and- Smoking too, actually. Well, I was gonna say, and the smoking too. I, I can you believe I've never watched Mad Men? I keep saying that oh, I'm gonna, Sandra. I'm gonna start it, but I think once I start, I won't be able to stop. So I really need to like summer, blockhouse. <laughs> yeah, summer. Yeah, <laughs> summer, a summer project to tackle. <laughs> yeah. I'll watch. I'll watch it when you start watching it. How about we watch okay. it together? Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, but yeah, all the, but there's a lot of smoking though too. And, yeah. and you know, but smoking is so intolerable now by everyone. I wonder if alcohol will ever become that way. Hmm. Yeah. I think we're yeah. a little ways off, but at least we're starting conversations. I think we're a ways yeah. off for sure. For yeah. sure. But I'm just saying that watching that didn't influence you guys to want to go buy a pack of cigarettes or maybe it did I don't, I don't know no, I never smoked I, though I can watch it and not feel any pull at all to drink hmm. uh, that because I there just a switch went off in my head the last time I drank yeah. and uh, I have very little desire to anymore uh, there is just when I stopped numbing myself with alcohol there was a whole bunch of other emotional stuff that I realized I had to deal with. And that's been the hardest part of my sobriety. Oh, um, yeah. But I think it is for everyone. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, too. But um, the smoking, even though I've never been a regular smoker, seeing that on Mad Men, oh, my gosh. Yeah, I do want to go. In my Did it make you want to go <laughs> smoke cigarettes? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because that's still a thing that doesn't feel like my body doesn't say it's forbidden in the same way that I know I can never, ever drink again. Right. It's one of those things where it's like, well, it, I saw someone on, I think it was on the Unruffled podcast secret group. They had, they had said that when they were talking about changing their diets or something, and they were saying, like, can't I have anything that I like? <laughs> right. Um, Mary Carr is, like, my favorite writer, um, m- probably because she's from Texas, but uh, she always says that, you know, if she hears that the that the you know planet's gonna go up in flames the first thing she's gonna do is buy a carton of marlboros because (laughs) she really she's she's okay with not ever drinking again but smoking she's like ah you know if it was if it was all going down (laughs) she's so funny and i think it's also caught up in the whole like mommy time out thing um like i say i've never been a regular 
smoker. I've never formed um, like a physical addiction to cigarettes, but I do have very close friends that it's like we would sneak away from the kids, um, you know, while they're safe, <laughs> but for just 10 minutes to hide behind a shed. And, have mm-hmm. a, and it would feel like being 16 years old again and hiding from your teachers. And it's like that rebellious, rebelliousness. Oh, my words are not coming out right. Um, but you know what I mean? It's like yeah. the, m- motherhood is just so damn hard. Well, and, and that's how I felt about <laughs> drinking as well. It's like, you know, I give and give and give. This is the one thing that's mine. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I deserved it. And that's that's how I treated it and it didn't really matter who it was affecting around me and and much less you know killing my own spirit but mm-hmm. yeah and well so okay. moms get to do this this is what moms do you know <laughs> this is this is what every mom's entitled to back off right like we get that message all the time and it's right. growing yeah it's growing well so we we found you on the internet um from the essay that you wrote um on your blog uh t- entitled moms tell me uh not to drink yeah, moms tell me to drink oh mom tell <laughs> sorry <laughs> mom tells moms tell me to drink thank you and how did it feel when that went viral because that kind of just took off for you oh terrifying right <laughs> yeah that was it yeah it still feels um totally bizarre like it's bizarre I'm talking to you guys right now (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm thankful for it though um but you know I've only been plugging away on my blog since October uh that was when I came out of the liquor cabinet and told everyone that I was no longer drinking um and so it's been really hard to put that stuff out there in front of people that I care about and I respect and I love family members, friends, people I used to know. Uh, but I just kind of kept on faithfully saying, this is the thing that I'm going to do now. Um, because I, you know, I used to be a fantastic liar, but now I don't know how to live without telling the truth. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, I, I, I just don't know how to do it anymore. Um, and that's so freeing, right? Uh, it is freeing. And so, yeah, so now the blog is, the blog post has been viral. And people have been sharing it like crazy and commenting it, uh, commenting on it like crazy and finding my page. And it's been wonderful. Um, I don't think that I've known any other sober women in my life before. Ah, so, so it kind of opened you up to the whole online world of recovery. Absolutely. Before, really, my only resource was home with um, Laura and Holly. Mm-hmm. So, so just in the nick of time. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so yeah, so, so you don't have any in real life places that you go to chat about this stuff or, or people in your life that you, other than your husband, I would imagine, but other support? Well, that's not actually true. No. Um, no, actually, while none of my friends are technically sober, uh, they talk about it with me, frankly and earnestly, for hours on end. Mm. Like every so often, I have to, you know, check in and be like, Katie, are you talking about this too much? <laughs> mm. um, no, my female friendships are ones that I've had throughout my drinking career, right from, you know, right from grade school 
And when I first, I was always known as like the heaviest drinker in our group, like the party girl, the one that was going to get us started. Um, and when I, the very first time I told a girlfriend, it was, I think I was on day three of not drinking and I, I texted one of my best friends and I just need to reach out to anyone. I was still shaky, still feeling hungover, feeling so much shame. And I just texted, you know, how are you doing? And she said, I'm good, you? And I texted back, um, just making terrible life choices. I I really need to stop drinking. And she didn't even bother replying because it just sounded like a joke, you know? Like mm-hmm. every time you know, hungover, you say, oh, I need to stop I'm drinking. I'm never drinking again, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and then like slowly I told each of my girlfriends and most of them had the same reaction, like, okay, cool, like, Katie's not going to drink for two weeks, you know? Right. Um, and then, and then after a few more weeks when we spoke about it at more length and I told them how terrible it had actually gotten and how depressed I had gotten and how, um, like I may not survive continuing to drink, uh, they totally surrounded me hmm. and it's, I've, even though they're not technically sober, um, my girlfriends have been one of my greatest resources. You're so lucky. I yeah, am. That's great. I'm very lucky. So lucky. Yeah. Well, good. Well, I hope you find some support online too, because it's pretty yeah. magical. <laughs> it, yeah. I've been really enjoying these new groups. I've become yeah. a part of <laughs> Yeah. Well, good. Yeah. I hope you do because that, um, well, of course, there's many things that people use for their recovery or even if they don't like that word or whatever, just getting through this, like being seen and heard by other people is always just so kind of, you know, magical. And um, it feels safe too, right? It just feels kind of safe when you don't have to physically be in front of somebody doing that. It feels a little more like I can be a little braver or say the things that, that are hard. And feel safe and kind of held in those spaces, which I know not everybody gets. I know a lot of my um, friends who are not in recovery kind of think like, why are you friends with strangers on the internet? Like that feel that's weird. And I'm like, oh, you just don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's okay. <laughs> right. I, you know, and the first time you hear your story and some, and somebody else is just, that's the magical part too. Yeah. I mean, yes, there's one thing about telling your story, but then when you hear your own story in um, something that someone else shares, yeah. it's just, and they can be, uh, you know, another woman across the country, you know, 20 years older than you with you no know, children or whatever. They can, they can look on the outside completely opposite from you. But yet you find that you have so many, so many things in common. Mm-hmm. Well, I just find like when I first stopped, I had no idea what a life without alcohol would even look like. I couldn't, you know, I didn't want to turn into this like prissy, like Puritan person, you know, <laughs> that's not me. Um, and that's the only image I had ever really seen in media, like, or like these fragile people. And I felt pretty fragile at the time, but I wasn't, I wasn't always going to be like that. I knew I wasn't. And it was actually finding, you know, once I found home and I saw what those ladies looked like and how loud they were living their life. And I was like, oh, that's what I can look like. Um, and so these online groups, they really just show you other ways of being 
Mm, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, do you want to talk about the essay? Yeah, let's get into yeah. that. I know, Sandra, I know you have some things that you wanted to ask yeah, and chat about. Talk about. Yeah, let's talk about your essay. Um, what you said about, um, you know, how our children are watching our every move. We know that. Um, but then for them to put it together that we moms drink just to tolerate them that was a heartbreaking heartbreaking point and I love that I love how you highlighted it when you you know substituted another scenario that if you know what if your spouse or partner was joking about having to get tanked just to hang out with you um that was a that was a brilliant way of 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 making that become a more real thing because that's just the part that we don't want to look at, right? Yeah. And you know, when I stopped drinking, I worried about this. I worried that people wouldn't want to hang out with me or that they'd need alcohol to hang out with me. And so I would plead with my friends, like, please drink. Don't not drink because I'm here. Like, do shots, get drunk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and my, my friends would say, like, no, that's okay. <laughs> we don't need to do that. Um, so if I was absorbing these messages as an adult, um, yeah, I can't imagine that our kids aren't, even though I didn't realize it until, you know, until less than a month ago when it actually happened. And when I saw this thought click in my daughter's head and she was thinking like oh like oh thought I I was going to be bad like do you think we were bad and I said no I had such a wonderful time with those girls that night and I just wanted to make it really clear to to my daughter like I will never have to drink to hang out with you I love you and no one else will ever have to drink to hang out with you because you're amazing Right. Can you share can, for our listeners? Can you share a little bit about that interaction that happened at the? It was at the dollar store. Sure. You were? So, yeah. Yeah, we were at the dollar store. We were just loading up on like glow sticks and nail polish and party supplies for a big slumber party she was having that night. And um, Kay, my daughter Kaylina, she was turning nine, and she's such a sweet kid. We, you know, we go just crazy filling our cart with everything and then we roll up to the till and she starts to worry and she's like mom can we afford all this like or or this can be so expensive and like we're not impoverished you know <laughs> and I was like I will be okay Kaylee um and I said you know we're happy to spend this money on you it's your birthday and she said I love you and I told her I loved her as well. And we like hugged while we were waiting in line. And it was this sweet moment. And there were these two older women behind us um, about my own mother's age. And they seemed really touched by the interaction that they just saw. And they were very pleasant and kind women. And, um, you know, they remarked on how pretty Kaylee looked in her dress and, you know, how sweet we were together. And, I was feeling, you know, a little emotional because I always do on my kids' birthdays. It's such a milestone. And and she asked if she could give me some – she touched my shoulder and she asked if she could give me some advice um, from a mom who had been there. And 
like, I'm a very touchy feely person. I just said like, yes, please. Like I want your wisdom. (laughs) And, Mm -hmm. and she, she told me, she leaned in, she said, get two bottles of wine. And then the joke really started going. Her friend started saying that she's already started drinking because I was holding a coffee cup and then, you know, there's more tequila in our truck if you want it. And it just got carried away and, and it got like a little louder and, I just kind of like laughed and said like, oh, I think we'll be okay. Um, But I also felt disappointed because I actually did want to hear what they, what advice they could give me, what they could offer me because, you know, we're, I'm out here doing it alone. I do have my mother, but she lives far away. I have an excellent mother-in-law. She also lives far away. Um, And we're so removed. Mothers just, we're just so isolated from the mm-hmm. rest of our family like my sister lives in England um my best friends live far away from me I don't see them on a daily basis it's we're so alone which is why a lot of the time why I think our drinking really takes a turn because we're all drinking alone you know right right um and so it turns into not a celebration it turns into a coping mechanism and that's right. like pivotal part of why it's so dangerous I think um anyway so I was a little disappointed and I kind of I was kind of chewing on it all night like why did that disappoint me so much and then when all the girls did arrive at this party and you know they were all like a little bit awkward to be there at first and and the energy like I'm very sensitive to how everyone is is feeling and so like the energy was kind of off and I was feeling a little bit anxious I want to give my kid a good party but you know it's starting to get noisy and I'm starting to feel a little like I don't know crunchy private <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh I just sat down on the couch and I was thinking like oh my gosh you know 14 months ago, this would be when I pour myself a glass of wine. And exactly. This, and it would feel immediately better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, uh, but you know, then I decide, well, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that anymore. That isn't my life anymore. And so I decided like, you know what, um, I'm going to really get involved before with playdates and stuff. I was very much like the hands-off parent. It's like, yes, kids need to be bored. They need to figure it out together. And I still believe that, but this time I was thinking, you know what, I'm going to get to know these kids. I'm going to get in there. And so I did. And just me leaning into it, um, really loosened up every other girl and mm. it, maybe I gave them permission to be loud and to be giggly and to make such a mess with this slime we were creating. Um, and we had a great time and we painted nails and they were telling me about like their crushes and stuff, which is my dream come true. I can't <laughs> telling me about her crushes. Totally. <laughs> um, and, and so it was just a really magical night. And it wasn't until the next morning when we were um, being lazy on the couch or lack of sleep. And we were watching Anne of Green Gables, the part where and Shirley accidentally gets her best friend Deanna um, drunk that Kaylee brought up the women at the dollar store and how they she was trying to make sense because she had been you know she had remembered from seeing this part of the show and she was trying to make sense of why the lady said buy two bottles like why is that good advice and at first she said do you think she wanted you to give us one of the bottles right (laughs) 
Mm-hmm. So confusing. Yeah. Confusing, right? And I said, no, no, no. Uh, she was just making a joke, just like about getting drunk. Like, because when you're nine, like, people don't make drunks or jokes about getting drunk. Like, being drunk right. is bad, right? And she's like, why would someone make a joke about getting drunk? And then I said, well, you know, it just, kids' birthday parties can be crazy. And then it kind of hit her, like, mm-hmm. oh, you, she thought I was going to be bad. And then she got worried because this is the same little girl who was worried that we were spending too much money at the dollar store. Right. right. And she said, like, do you think we were bad? Um, which was so sad because I mm-hmm. had a wonderful time and I wanted her to know, like, I had an awesome time and I think you're amazing. And I think you picked good friends, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and then it just led to to me considering what it would be like if uh, if twenty years from now I was standing beside my daughter and being so excited to hang out with her, and someone else had made jokes about like, "Oh, you're hanging out with your mom. <laughs> you're gonna need a lot of alcohol." Right. Really sad. I don't want my kids to think of me that way, and I don't want them to think that I think of them that way. Right. Yeah, every, that whole experience and how that chain of events happened, too, and watching the movie with her and having her ask those questions. Because you were polite to those ladies because you're probably a polite person, right? So, but and they I, were polite to me. Like, they didn't actually, they, even though yeah. looking back now and as, as people who don't drink, we can say, like, that's not a nice thing to say. They were just trying to express their their love and support. It's just these jokes have become so normalized in our culture right. that people them for what they are and they were trying to connect with you and that was that was the best way they could come up that was the best thing that they could come up with yeah they weren't trying to be you know they didn't know I was sober they weren't and I'm sure they didn't even really mean like go get wasted at this slumber party it was just a joke you know um because that's what we moms joke about these days mm-hmm. totally. it's gone down such a slippery slope and these jokes are the same kind of jokes that kept me drinking for way longer than I had to yeah I am um, I used to own a wine bar Katie and I used to carry um I didn't sell the wine bottles that said you know bitch wine or mommy juice I, I drew the line there apparently I had some lines but <laughs> I didn't but that's only because I was a wine snob and I didn't like how it tasted so I didn't buy those I don't know that I had a big you know, I had a whole lot of moral fiber about the message but um, I used to carry cocktail napkins that said all of those things that you see. And I just think about that now, like, what was I thinking? You know, I just really wasn't. I really, the crowd I hung around and the the women that frequented my business um, either had no children or children that were grown. And so it was like, it was a very social, it, having a kid, I was the odd one out. Um, but even if you did have moms in there, do you think you would have thought about it really? I mean, I don't know. About having all that stuff? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think yeah. it was on my radar. You're right. I'm just yeah. saying that the crowd that I that I normally hung out with um were not moms um of, you, of little kids. And so I don't like, know. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Well, like I was a mom of little kids. And when I was drinking, I found those jokes hilarious. Right? Right. <laughs> he shared them all. I was the queen of mommy drink jokes. Yeah. Um, right. And they, you know, to some extent, I believe them. Being a mom is really hard. And exactly. to break. And it was kind of funny that, I don't know, that 
we're going to be bad moms. I don't know. It was, but then it wasn't also because I remember times where I go over to my friend's house and we're in a safe environment, but we've got, you know, four-year-olds and I'm having a sleepover at her house. I'm not going to drive my kids home drunk or anything. I never did that. Um, I was like, you know, a very responsible drunk mother. Right. <laughs> but I can't remember putting them to bed. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've been and there. Been there. That has felt like to... I like there are times where I'm like, where did my kids sleep? Like, did they just like doggy pile together? Um, and that's that sucks. That mm-hmm. really hurts to think about. But still, the jokes are funny. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We're just, you know, we we talk about this a lot, but we're bombarded with that. We're as moms, you know, bombarded with all of the jokes and all of the encouragement by the media, social media, society at large that, you know, that we should drink to get through motherhood. And so, of course, we think it's okay. Um, And, of course, we think that that's what we're supposed to do. But then it's fuzzy. Then it gets fuzzy and ambiguous. You know, it's like keep drinking, but then don't cross a line and be that mom. Um, because there's, you know, shame, no other than the shame that a mom will suffer if she doesn't keep her shit together while she's drinking, you know, it just, it's so confusing. Just this last week, I was thinking about, um, the first time I went out after having my eldest daughter and yeah, all this stuff is really confusing because I was... Uh, 22 years old. Kaylee was about a month old. And I loved my baby more than life itself. And I was a great mom. And I was so disciplined. Like I even I was so disciplined to the point that I couldn't accept an epidural because it I had in my head that it was not good for the baby. Right. (laughs) So like there was nothing I wouldn't do for this little kid. And the first time I went out, my mother came to babysit. My my best friends came over. One of them flew in all the way from Vancouver Island, which is quite far from where I am. And we're all just young kids, right? Like 22 years old is still pretty young. Yes. And, and um, we're going out with the guys, too, with my husband and his friends. And we had the greatest time at this bar. Um, and I can't look back and be like, oh, that was a terrible, shameful time. No, it was fun. It was a good time. But and we celebrated the fact that like Katie's still a cool mom and everyone like toasted to me. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but no one was there for 3 a.m. when the baby refused to take a bottle and my breasts were engorged. And this poor baby is trying her very best to nurse and I'm crying my eyes out because I don't want to do anything more than nurse her right now but I can't mm-hmm. and when you think about that or when you think about you know if I had been drunk enough to just say oh screw it and nurse her anyway mm-hmm. how that would you know everyone yeah. could jump on that and be like that's awful mm-hmm. but right. how can you tell a mother drink to that point and then but when you don't slip, cross the line yeah and then when you slip up you're not a good mom anymore mm-hmm. you're yeah. a mom for being a cool mom but if you get too you know 
too far gone, then hand over your mom card because you don't yeah. Get yeah. Well, I think that it's also if we talk about this more or if we're so I used to go to these they used to call it the gig and it used to be the Friday gig at the park near my son's school all parents would bring food and wine and hang out while the kids played well of course I want to up the ante and bring vodka and make cocktails for people because that's normal right (laughs) and I remember them kind of looking at me like okay you just changed the whole dynamic here um and I was mixing up for whoever wanted them. And a couple people did, but most people said, no, thank you. And I really thought I was so clever and cute and bringing all that stuff. And I had my martini shaker with me. I mean, problem, problem, problem. It's like <laughs> neon sign I should have been wearing. Like, can somebody help me? My son's five and I'm showing up to the park with a martini shaker. Like, no one said anything. And not that it was their job, but... That's a that's a sign right there, people. If your friends are showing up to the park with a martini shaker, you might want to chat with them, yeah. <laughs> or or slip them some AA literature or something, like put it in their purse and not. But um, I think I thought it was really cool, and that I was liberated, and that I um, uh, I don't feel that way now. But I think I was yeah. just my problem was getting worse, and. I wanted to normalize it by taking it to a place like that and saying, like, it's not a big deal. Like, mm-hmm. I'm really good at making cocktails. Who wants one? Because I wanted everybody to drink like me, so it would be okay. And I'm, you know, I don't I don't have a lot of shame for my past now. I do have a few regrets, you know, but it, you work on those when you work that all out. And I feel like I, I feel pretty good, but I, if I could do it over again in some of those mom situations, ugh. I would. Well, I think that I think just, uh, you know, us talking about it and then Katie just writing that essay. I mean, I can't I tried to think about what I would have thought when I was drinking if I would have read your essay, um, if it would have made me angry or if um, if maybe I would have thought for a second, okay. it maybe if it maybe would have questioned um had me question my actions, how, you know, I was drinking as a mom. Um, I wonder about that. Yeah, I, but I think it's just so, it's such an important conversation. I mean, I think that I just, I just can't help but think of, of all of the women that you have allowed to just think about it for a minute. It's really, um, it's it's really encouraging to me. I I have received a little bit of heat from it, but that kind of just slips right off my back. Because honestly, I do think that I may have been one of the women that had said like, "Oh, lighten up," you know, or like she's mm-hmm. probably super religious or something. Right. <laughs> Which is sad. I I hope I would have been more graceful and thought about it, but I don't know. It would depend on what kind of mood I was caught in, probably. Right. Um, right. But what I have seen that is really just, oh, made my heart overflow is how many women who do enjoy wine have commented or contacted me to let me know, um, hey, I'm not going to stop drinking because it's not, I don't consider it a problem, but I hear what you're saying and I do consider these jokes a problem. Yes, exactly. Mm. Thank you. 
Thank you, because this is the way that we move forward. You know, the way that alcohol is marketed to women is a feminist issue. The way mm-hmm. that it's marketed to our most vulnerable segments, like mothers who are isolated, young mothers, um, mothers without money. You know, there's a reason why these these bottles of wine are so cheap. Yeah. Yeah. This is a feminist issue. And it doesn't have to be your problem for a woman to say, you know what, this is a problem. This mm-hmm. is good for women. This is not good for my daughters. I don't want, you know, I want to be able to enjoy my wine, but I don't want my little girl to grow up and think that she needs wine to be considered a real mom. Mm-hmm. So I'm so thankful for the legions of support that I've seen from women who are recovering, women who drink moderately, women who like to tie one on, you know, but still say enough, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm really, I definitely don't want to discount um, allies in other communities. Yeah. 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 Do you think, um, I mean, do you think by writing this, and and causing so I think your essay is going to be shared this week, right? Is it on um, Scary Mommy? Is that what it is? Today and it is inbox folder keeps on like <laughs> oh, <laughs> so it may have happened is what you're saying. Right. Already. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, good. So, um, so you're going to, but I think that's so great to just kind of have, start this conversation, weigh in on this conversation, um, have your, your voice be heard and, um, you know, you're helping to create and start new ones, which is really important. And so I just, that's, it's just been great. And I was so glad Sandra sent me your essay, um, before she asked you to come on the show, she was like, you've got to read this. And I really appreciated it. And I think that women who are still drinking would appreciate it, too. Like you said, I don't think you have to be sober to read your work and not connect. You know, because as a woman, I connected. Right, because you're not calling for prohibition. You're not calling for prohibition. And you're not even being righteously indignant about it. But you certainly do. Everyone can connect to to that point you made, I think. Um, even women that are, that are, that are drinking, um, can connect to that point. Well, I think it's just important to understand that most of the time when women share these jokes, I truly believe it's coming from a place of trying to bond with other women. Yes. Agreed. Other women. And I am 100% for that, you know? Um, but, um, but we also, because it's coming from that place, Um, I think now more than ever, perhaps, women are feeling a very very concrete need to support one another and to lift one another up. And we want to support our daughters and we want to make this a better world than it's been previously. And so I think that when I shared this and said, like, you know, guys, I know that this is done with the best intentions, but it's it's hurting us and it's hurting our kids and there's even more potential down the road to hurt them more. You know, um, I think that's what resonated with so many women because no, this is not a call for everybody to stop drinking. This right. is just all like, let's watch how we love each other. Let's see if we can love each other better. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah, I do too. 
Well, I feel like you you chatted about this um, earlier in the podcast, but I just wanted to circle back around because it's kind of what our podcast, we try to um, base things on that, you know, art and creativity kind of fuels our recovery. Do you, do you agree with that? Like, I I think you do, but I want to ask you, like, do you feel like since you got sober that you're able to open up these channels to your creative self easier? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Um, Like I said before, when I was drinking. Um, actually, you know what, when I was much younger, I remember drinking, like getting drunk and talking to a friend about my creativity and like crying because I hadn't written anything in so long and I was washed up and, um, I was never going to make anything out of my life. And she's like, well, why? And I said, because I have to be depressed to write. And I'm just so happy these days. (laughs) I was going to ask if you connected to that tortured writer character. I wore it like a mask. And it was like, you know, I can't create because my life is too great. I've got this awesome husband and this awesome little kid. And I have to be depressed to write. And it's like, why was I drinking so much if I didn't consider myself depressed? (laughs) Um, And now I see that no depression and anxiety um, are the, the biggest creative blocks for me that exist. And um, alcohol abuse is just a symptom for me uh, of depression and anxiety because I would really, you know, the worse I was feeling, the more I would drink and the worse I'm feeling and the more I'm drinking, the less I'm creating. Um, so really when I stopped drinking, uh, the first two months were difficult. The first two months were basically, I was writing constantly, but it was just private journaling. And then after I started to feel more comfortable in my skin, um, I was able to come up my work in a in a much more professional way there was none of this like I have to wait for the muse and maybe she's at the bottom of this bottle <laughs> it was mm-hmm. like, I'm gonna show up and I trust that she'll show up too and let's get to work yeah and it was consistent that was some, that was probably the biggest thing if if I'm not consistently working then it all falls apart Right. And do you think that's what pushed you forward to finishing your novel and getting started on your next thing? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 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 Like Just I, having I, some structure around it. Ab- absolutely. Uh, if I was still drinking, there's no way that I would have met my grant deadline. Uh, when I was issued this grant in December of last year, it was with the stipulation that the book had to be submitted and finished by September. Hmm. And I'd been working on this thing for five years previously, like I said. So, and it was just stopping and starting and stopping and starting. And, you know, one bad thing would happen to me and be, and then I'd, you know, drink all evening. And then I wouldn't write again for three or four days. And now there's no excuse. It's sit down and work and write. Um, some, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not the picture of discipline. Life gets in the way sometimes kids' birthdays and dentist appointments and things like that can knock me back a day, but it's only a day. I don't need mm-hmm. to take like a week to recuperate. Right. I just spend three days hating myself. Right. You started taking yourself more seriously too, it sounds like. Like, like I'm a writer and I'm going to sit down and this is the work I do. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Oh, it's been so good talking to you, Katie. We, um, well, I could talk to you a lot longer. I know, Sandra, you could as well. Yes. But we, this is the part of the show where we try to share with our listeners, um, you know, three things that are in our, sobri- uh, our um, unruffled toolbox. And that can be related to sobriety or that could be related to your creativity. Any tools that you, um, you know, are kind of your go-to that maybe our listeners could um, take some inspiration from. So, yeah, will you share with us your three? I would love to. Um, The first one, this tool is for creativity, sobriety, life in general, and it's sleep. Yes. (laughs) High five, sister. (laughs) When I first stopped drinking, I slept like I had just survived a train wreck. Same. Uh, I put myself to bed at 8 o'clock every night along with the kids. Um, I was still waking up early most days, but then I'd go back to bed in the afternoon for a nap and I treated myself as though I was a two year old and it was really important that I do that because I really had to be well again. I needed to really mother myself a lot back then, but, uh, just as you know, the rules of traffic say, if you're deprived of sleep, you're impaired and you're not going to make good decisions. Um, Mm -hmm. That's, you know, if being lacking sleep is as dangerous as drinking to me because Mm -hmm. I will make decisions and Mm -hmm. I will get stressed out and sorry, can you hear my dog barking? Aw, they just want to be on the pod. It's okay. (laughs) We're fine. Mine's probably going to bark in a minute, so just be ready. (laughs) So, yeah, the first one is sleep. I need my sleep. I'm unapologetic about needing my sleep actually the last time I went um, on a group camping trip with a whole bunch of friends and they were drinking and I was you know sober and uh, we got to talking about nursing homes in old age and I had just woken up from a nap and I like come out onto the porch holding a a coffee cup while everyone else is holding beer and I'm like nursing homes. Oh, I'm not worried about them. I can't wait to go to a nursing home. <laughs> I hear you get to sleep a lot. In nursing homes. <laughs> I'm like, like Evan, you, you just woke up from a nap. You're in a nursing home. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Then bring me some pudding people. Just bring me some tapioca and we'll be fine. <laughs> Uh, yeah, sleep. I, 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 I aim into that. Yes. All that you said. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Um, secondly, for me, um, it was journaling because I'm a writer. Um, it's really, it's really important that I write my thoughts down and my progress down. Um, and I've been journaling a lot less these days because I feel really strong, but it's my go-to for when I'm feeling weak. Um, these days, a lot of the time, my journaling takes place, takes uh, the form of my blog. But it, when I, those, you know, the first year of, of my sobriety, I was writing, just diary writing like a fiend. It was mm-hmm. really important to me to, to figure out what I was feeling. And um, I'm really happy I did that because I imagine someday that I'll look back on this and maybe look at this as a memoir someday far down the road. Um, But for, I would just, so maybe not even journaling, maybe just an art form. If you paint, you know, paint what you're going through. If you sketch, sketch, sketch what you're going through, just some records so you can look back and see your progression. Yeah. um, And spill, spill out all the angst onto the page or canvas or whatever. I like that. Yep. And, uh, 
my third would be female friendships support. Yeah, 100%. I had a lot of really amazing women holding my hand. Like I say, um, none of them identify as sober or in recovery, although they weren't. It, um, I don't think they drank as heavy as I do now. And certainly most of my friends have, uh, they drink a lot less now after we've had all of these conversations. And I think just in support of me and also um, some um, awareness of how how we've been living, but we're all growing together. Uh, but my my female friendships, definitely having women that you can reach out to and pour your heart out to. And I just keep making more and more friends like you guys. So it's wonderful. It's like this beautiful byproduct of sobriety for me. I, I thought I had all the friends I needed, didn't need any more. And um, I was wrong. <laughs> So I agree. Um, I still have my very dear friends that I was drinking with before. Mm. But when I look back at how cruelly I tread them sometimes, when I had a few too many and my tongue would get really sharp, um, it breaks my heart to think that I used to talk to my best friends like that. Mm. Just like I used to talk to my husband like that. So now that I'm not I'm no longer drinking the way, like I'm no longer drinking, um, but I'm hurting less people. You know, I'm, and I'm glad that I can finally, when I was sober, when we get together for coffee, it was wonderful, you know, back then, but then I drink a little bit too much. And, you know, I tell one of my friends to like, stop complaining. She doesn't have it that bad. And, and it's, it makes me just cringe now to think that I tread some of the most important relationships in my life like that so as much as they've loved me to this place I'm so thankful that I can properly love them back now as well that is beautiful thank you so much Katie um can you tell can you tell people where they can find your work yes um on my website katiebickle.com I'm also on Instagram as writer Katie Bickle, but I'm not very active on there. So if you really want to engage, my Facebook page is the best way to do that. Just Katie Bickle, K-A-T-I-E-B-I-C-K-E-L-L. And that's your, are you talking about your writer page or? Yes. yes. Okay. So that one's probably connected to your blog. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I'm actually not very, these days I don't do a lot on my personal page either I kind of dropped off well actually when I stopped drinking I dropped off of social media for a whole year because I needed to get away from the normalization of alcohol mm-hmm. yeah. yeah but now you have been thrown back in that essay <laughs> so just Katie I just wanted to thank you for writing that essay because um we found you I I don't think we would have found you if you hadn't have written that and I'm just so so thankful that you wrote that I'm so glad you guys found me (laughs) this is wonderful oh all right Katie well have a great day go take care of those dogs yeah we're going for a walk (laughs) zero degrees Yep, you're living. See, you're living life now. Yeah, zero degrees doesn't even bother you. (laughs) I love it. Thanks, Katie. All right, bye, guys.
The Unruffled Podcast was created and produced by Sandra Primo and Tammy Salas. Our show is edited and mixed by Steve Hecht. Original music composed and performed by NMMD. Original artwork created by Tammy with the help of graphic designer Chris Aguirre. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.